Hello and welcome to episode 99 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host Alex Schmitz and today I'm joined as always by my dad Peter Schmitz. Hello Husker fans and college football fans. That's right. We're one away from the big one. Pretty exciting, huh dad? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we've got something special planned for you guys for the big 100. So we'll tease that at the end of this podcast. But for those who are joining us for the first time, you'd be interested to hear that we are College Football Throwdown. We are a father-son duo talking about college football by college football fans for college football fans. And we're here today to talk about our favorite team, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, as well as what's going on in the wider landscape of college football, the upcoming conference championship games, and the playoff implications thereof. So this could be a busy podcast. Uh, but yes. Before we, yes. But before we dive into all that, I believe you have a beverage for us this week. I do. I do. And it's one I've mentioned before. So I, I hate to be, you know, repetitive, but it's it's a beer that I've so enjoyed throughout this uh you know, uh, fall and early winter time frame. It's a Vienna, Vienna style amber lager called Firebrick from Shell Brewing Company in New Ulm, Minnesota. One of my new favorites. And it's just a wonderful uh, amber beer uh, that I think if, if people are into amber beer and they haven't had it, they really need to try it. There we go. It even sounds good. Yeah, it does sound good, I have to admit. <laughs> All right. So last week's podcast, we, of course, discussed Nebraska's upcoming game against Minnesota and how um, important it was for us to try to, you know, finish off the season strong. At the time, we still hadn't heard about the ninth game or kind of crossover game with the other side of the conference. Uh, so this, you know, we weren't exactly sure what the future was. And uh, I predicted that Nebraska would win 35-28, whereas you predicted that we would win 42-24. Uh and I think I was a little bit more cautious about thinking that Martinez might still be uh, a little banged up in his shoulder from the previous game, whereas you were a little bit more gung-ho, I think, on him playing well. Uh, and the final score ended up being 24-17 in Minnesota's favor. Uh, unfortunately, another game where uh, Nebraska's offense just couldn't get things going, and we really kind of fell apart in the second half. Um, and I know, uh, as we were watching the game and we were texting back and forth as we do, I was frustrated with you that we were playing a zone defense against this team, uh, even though that, uh, they're not particularly known as a big passing threat. And we had done well in the previous game, um, defending the pass with, uh, um, sorry, what's the word I'm blanking on it right now, man, -man. Uh, a zone. Oh, right. Man-to-man -man versus zone. Yes. Yeah, you know, we had done well with man-to-man -man just the previous week with against better uh, receivers. So I was a little bit confused as to why we were going with the zone because they seem to be picking it apart a lot of the time. Um, however, in general, I actually think the defense played uh, solid this game. Because um, when you actually look into the play-by-play, -play, there were a number of the drives where they got their points were off of mistakes by the offense, not by the defense. For example, there was an interception where they got the ball at our 35 yard line. There was a fumble later in the game where they got the ball at the 39. And then there was that terrible eight yard punt where they got the ball at the 49. And uh, so that led to two touchdowns and one field goal by uh, Minnesota. So right there, that's 17 points, you know, basically, uh, kind of given up by the offense. And then the one drive where they did drive it all the way down the field and scored was on a drive where they had a big, they had a big 61 yard run where they got one away on us. Uh, but then you'll recall that then they got down closer to the, to the end zone and we actually stopped them on third and 10. It was going to be like fourth and five, but that was the uh, controversial targeting hit by Cam Taylor Britt that then got them the first down. And so then they scored a touchdown, whereas that really should have just been a field goal if that targeting hadn't happened. Uh, you know, so overall, uh, while I have criticisms of the defense, you know, they're not the reason we lost this game. This game falls straightly on the part of the offense, Taylor Martinez and Scott Frost. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and I would say a heavy, heavy emphasis on Scott Frost and his staff, because this is a game where 
where they needed, you know, I, I understand the philosophy that as a coaching staff, you have a philosophy that you believe in both offensively and defensively. And, and, you know, you'll hear coaches, it's a very common coach term to say, we're focused on us. You know, we, we, we don't worry as much about the other team. We just focus on making sure that we execute and do what we do well, because if we do that, then we believe we'll have success. And, and, um, um, and that is a philosophy, but um, I believe that a, a better philosophy as a coach and as a coaching staff is to say that, yes, we have a core uh, offensive and defensive philosophy, but we uh, believe in the value of scouting. We believe in the value of, of developing a game plan based on the strengths and weaknesses that the other team has coming into the game, uh, where you factor in things like injuries and uh, what that team does uh, well and doesn't do well. If they have some specific players that are really good that you need to account for, that you should adjust your philosophy, your standard core, right, things to accommodate what you're going to be facing on that particular week. And that's what a good coaching staff does. However, we didn't do that this week at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, I know you expressed concerns uh, on the day of the game, before the game started, that um, – uh, we our punter was out, and that was our second team punter. So the guy who would be coming in was our third string guy, um, and he did have two. I can recall two uh, really bad kicks, including that one that I mentioned that only went for like eight yards. Uh, but he did well, seem to- and Andy and uh, the the punter that got uh, that was that was out because of COVID. Uh, he had tested positive for COVID. Um, was also our holder on on the field goal kickers okay Mm -hmm. so what does the field goal kicker who has hasn't missed a a field goal kick all year uh he misses the very first field goal of the season right well that that's not true he missed one earlier this season so this was that's right okay second um but but he was he had had like eight or nine in a row ten in a row something like that you're right He, he had been very consistent and i took note of the fact that uh because the commentators mentioned that, that uh, we had a different holder in there. But um, it looked like the holder got it up fine. I think that one does fall on Connor Culp. Um, well, it, it does, except it's just about timing and rhythm and comfort level and all that. And when, you, when you're when you dealing with kickers, man, they are, they are the most... <laughs> Superstitious. Well, just wacky. You know, they're, they're so about their routine and any little disruption of routine... It's the reason why coaches so regularly call timeouts and and try to do different weird things to disrupt a kicker's rhythm, right? Because you get them thinking about anything else, and all of a sudden they fall apart. Yeah. And so anything you can do as a as an opposing coach to disrupt that rhythm of a kicker, then great. That's the way to that's the way to do it. Um, I wanted to give our thirteen punter credit, though, that it seemed like whatever game jitters he had seemed to adjust later on. Um, and I can recall two uh, pretty nice punts that he had later in the game. Um, I agree. Yeah. So yeah, I think he shows he's not consistent yet, but he does have a leg. Um, so th- yes. So that that was one thing that was good to see. But on the offensive front, you know, it was another situation where we had some nice drives, like you'll recall at the very start of the second half. Um, the first time we got the ball, Martinez was still in, uh, and he had a nice drive, you know, where we were, you know, getting first downs and, you know, these little eight yard plays and things like that. Um, but then we just kind of, we had like two plays that went for nothing. And then, you know, like, I think a pass got batted down on third down. And then all of a sudden we kick a field goal where we really needed a, a touchdown there. Um, exactly. and then after that, I don't think, well, we... wait a minute, wait a minute. You're talking about the one in the second half. Right, at the start of the second oh, half. Oh, remember, we scored a touchdown. Oh. And then it got called back. Wasn't that later? A whole, well, maybe maybe, maybe I'm misunderstanding the timing. I wasn't sure uh, when well, you started the, talking. I, well, you, the, the, the one I'm referring to was at the start of the second half, and I think that's the one where – that's right, because we went for the field goal, and that's the one that Connor missed. So we got nothing out of it. When it, okay, it, that's when right. It should have been a, yes. a touchdown, and you're right. There was a, a play later on where Adrian ran it in for a touchdown, and then it got called back for a holding or something, which was a bullshit holding call. <laughs> um, and, and and here's the thing: I mean, people can point to this game and say, "Okay, 
The reality is there were a number of receivers open throughout the day, some of which Martinez saw and threw the ball to them. But he was so inaccurate because he was aiming the football instead of throwing it because his arm was injured. Again, this is another thing I, I just have to mention. I, I know we don't want to, you know, uh, there, there's so many areas of not just frustration, but I would go as far as to describe it for me as anger because these are stupid fundamental things like the whole idea of doing a game plan that supports the strengths of your team and the weaknesses of the other team. You can't just focus on yourself. You have to look at both sides of the, of the situation and how we could have chosen to have a defensive game plan where we were in zone. Most of the game is inexplicable to me. And similarly, why we, we did not have a plan that we were going to attack the line of scrimmage uh, directly uh, from an offensive standpoint, both in terms of running the football right at them as well as uh, attacking down the field with straight, uh, uh, um, what do I want to say, uh, um, fly patterns and, and just flat-out seam routes and square ends and things like that where, we're, where we were trying to uh, attack them in the middle of the field with the running game, draw their linebackers up, and then throw it behind them, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we should have been doing. Anybody who looks at what Minnesota was coming in with, 33 players out because of COVID-related things. Um, so they were very much depleted, although they, they didn't have a, a, never really articulated how many starters were out. And, and I don't know that there were that many uh, of the starters that were missing. There was maybe four or so, which is four or five, which is pretty typical for a late-season game. But more significantly was that they didn't have any depth behind them. Their second and third teamers was where that 33 players was hurting them. And we should have attacked them and been as physical as possible and tried to wear them out. Instead, we ran, we threw the ball way, way more than we should have. And we didn't attack directly. We kept running sideways, sideline to sideline. We kept trying to run around them instead of at them. And when we did run at them, we had success. Uh, I thought we had moments of success. And instead of staying with that and being devoted to it and being patient with it, Scott kept going to what he said were plays that he saw that were open. Right. But they required a quarterback who could execute. And when your quarterback has a hurt shoulder, I can't believe that Scott is unwilling to acknowledge that, that um, Martinez, even at the beginning of the game, was twitching his arm, was twitching his shoulder. His shoulder was hurting him at the beginning of the game. And then every time... He got he, he he got he ran the ball one time and he rolled. I mean, just barely. I mean, he, he hit the ground. He did a good job of trying to protect his shoulder, but he still got up and wincing and moving his shoulder around. It was clear that he was in pain. And how they can't understand that at that point, you know, an 80 percent Martinez is not better than 100 percent McCaffrey. So unless McCaffrey had a broken frickin leg, he should have been in there because McCaffrey right. can still throw at least at least a 20-yard square in, right. okay? He can still throw an out pattern. I, I and, and the fact that they put Martinez in when, I mean, put Mark McCaffrey in for a couple of plays early in the game, when, when Martinez went out with a hand injury on, on his left non-throwing hand, and they ended up putting a second glove on it. So you had a guy out there that was wearing two damn gloves on his left hand, which I, I swear was uh, it was going to be an inevitable fumble if he ran the football, and it's probably why they they maybe shied away from running him a lot after that. Um, and and then he had a hurt right shoulder, which is his throwing arm. Get that guy on the sidelines and put in your second team quarterback. Right, and I you'll mean, recall Jesus. when Martinez did get his hand hurt. Yeah, we brought in McCaffrey and who's probably, you know, cold on the sidelines because it was a sudden thing, like, get in there, it's second down, we got to go. And we right. called two passing plays, and he, right. and they're both incomplete. And, and so I think that may have and, colored well, the coach's perceptions, and, but I don't think that right. should have when exactly. the reality is you brought him in cold in this middle of this weird situation, and Martinez right. clearly isn't getting the passes to the wide receivers. So when in the third quarter it was clear that Martinez was still struggling, struggling that's when you yeah. replace him, but they never did. Yes, yes, exactly. I mean, Mar uh, uh, to be fair, McCaffrey threw behind a tight end who then reached back to try to catch it, tipped it up to keep it in the air long enough for a defender to arrive and intercept it. So 
one of those two pass plays. Oh, that's right. McCaffrey threw a threw a pick. It wasn't completely McCaffrey's fault. He didn't throw it to the other team. The other team didn't jump in front of his pass. It was a bobbled pass catch attempt by our tight end that allowed that that defensive back to catch that football. Okay, it was still a very good play by them. I, I'm not going to take away from their DB who reached down and caught one yeah, close to the ground. That was good. It was a good. It was a good catch by that guy, but. Uh, you, you know, you, you have to have that enough perspective to understand that I, I can't, I can't assign the blame there to McCaffrey that he shouldn't have thrown it, or you know that was a bad decision or anything like that. That that was a poor throw, not a bad decision, right? That was a poor throw because he threw it behind the guy, uh, um, and so um, you should have put in McCaffrey, and 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 where the hell is? is uh, smothers. I don't. I don't understand why we've never seen that guy. And I, I mean, in a year where eligibility is irrelevant, right? You're not burning a red shirt or anything like that. Uh, if he's your third team quarterback, if it's Masker, where the hell was Masker? How come he didn't get a snap? Because you had a very injured uh, Martinez that needed to be on the sidelines because he was not being effective. And if if there's something wrong with McCaffrey, if he's got an injury that that's non-disclosed, okay, fine. If you don't think he can go, then go to your third teamer, whoever that is. Next man up, let's go. That's what you'd do if it was a left guard. Why? Why you got to do that with your quarterbacks too, right? And and we didn't. So these are all coaching decisions. It was just such an incredible series of coaching decisions that were just poor after poor after poor. He just kept loading bad decisions on top of bad decisions and that and that's on scott that's on scott and his staff and mm-hmm. and so and, and then for him to come out after the game and admit that he felt that the team had practiced as well uh they had had the best week of practice that he felt they'd had since uh since he's been to nebraska well that tells me your practices suck okay and that's something we're going to talk about in a future podcast in the off season because there's some fundamental things there that we need to address. Yeah. But 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 this game was a, just an absolute abject disaster for Nebraska. Uh, and it has implications way beyond just losing to Minnesota. It has implications about recruiting. It has implications about whether or not Scott is going to be able to maintain even a semblance of momentum going into next season that will maybe lead us to uh, something better next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I saw that comment about the best practice thing as well. And I know he prefaced it with, I, I know I shouldn't say this, or I probably shouldn't say this, or, you know, he, yeah, he, he, he knew he had a caveat before, but he, even then it's probably like, you probably shouldn't have said that Scott. No, um, he shouldn't. Cause yeah, this, you know, coming off of the Purdue win where, you know, we were hoping to continue some momentum here into this Minnesota game, you know, to try to end off our season, you know, better. We still have the potential to pet, go bowling, you know, if we were lucky. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the, just the how the offense just struggled so badly in this game. And like you said, the, the coaches game plans in general um, kind of prevent us from winning, you know, and once again, we're in another situation where we lose by seven points. Um, so, you know, it was a close game, but uh, close doesn't count it. And I'm of the opinion now, uh, you know, and we'll see what happens with Rutgers next week. Um, but I have the opinion now that if, Scott the the fourth year next year is Scott's do or die year. If he doesn't show, if we have another like four win season next year or whatever, uh, Scott's fired. I, I I don't see any other results. I, well, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not sure I agree with you about that happening. I think there will be a lot of clamor for that to happen from fans and from media questioning what 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 the plan is and things like that. But I actually think that as long as Bill Moose is there, I think Scott's going to be his coach. I think Bill is willing to give Scott more time uh, to get it done because he knows that Scott's doing a lot of things, quote, quote, the right way. But, but I think what they do need to talk about is why are, you know, what are you guys doing to evaluate your practices and, and your offensive schemes and philosophies to address the, what's in your face, which is that your performance – is unacceptable. Right. right. And I saw a comment somewhere, I think it might have been on a Husker Max or somewhere else, talking about the recruiting that, you know, Scott's been pretty good in terms of the level of recruits he's brought in and things like that. 
But that kind of be thinking back to Bill Callahan, that era where he also was a great recruiter, um, but the results didn't show up on the field. So, you know, that's what's most important. Right. Well, exactly. I mean, um, you know, Bill Callahan brought in a lot of NFL level talent. I mean, you know, not a lot, but I mean, uh, more than Frank Solich and yeah, more than Frank Solich and his staff were doing in their recruiting. So, so he elevated our recruiting from where we had been. Right. And, uh, but then he misused some of that talent because he was trying to implement a system that was NFL based and hard to uh, understand and comprehend. And so it, it was taking time for players to get on the field. Does this sound familiar? And then, <laughs> and then defensively, he hung his hat on an old buddy who was a longtime uh, coaching associate of his. Uh, in fact, I think they had been, they had gone to, uh, they either had coached together or, or were on the staff together um, uh, in some capacities at Northern Illinois way back at the beginning of their careers. And so they had, they had coached together at a number of stops along the way. And he believed in Banker, uh, uh, was his name, it was a defensive coordinator. And, and, he, and he just rode with him, right? And when the defense was just putrid, um, um, you know, he didn't make a change. Either insist that that guy change up his approach or fire that guy and bring somebody in who was going to be uh, applying a different approach, right? Because it wasn't working. And, uh, and Scott, is, I, fi- I think, finds himself in a similar situation where he's got an offense that clearly is taking longer for players to comprehend and be able to execute at a high enough level. And so some of his best talent is standing on the sidelines because they can't seem to demonstrate in their practice, you know, enough to, to get there. And that's a problem. You, 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 when you're in rebuild mode, man, you got to get your best athletes on the field ASAP, even if they're not ready. And what that means is you need to simplify your scheme and simplify your offense so that those athletes can get on the field. You know they have it. That's why you recruited them. You got to get them on the field, and and then slowly expand and increase the complexity of your offensive system as those kids grow and mature. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And and he did. He's not chosen to do that, and it's burning him. And the same thing with the defense. I, I think he's got a defensive coach with a defensive philosophy that frankly does not fit with the Big Ten. And either this guy has to change up what he's doing and get better athletes where, because the reality is they've failed miserably recruiting outside linebackers and defensive ends. And so we don't have anybody who's a real threat as a defensive pass rusher. And we're in year three and we have none. Mm-hmm. And we just signed a, a we, we're, we're doing this podcast on signing day, the early signing day, which we'll address later in the year after the February signing date. But we didn't get anybody that was a difference maker uh, for that, for those positions on this cycle either. Right. So, yep. Yep. So, there's a lot to improve. That's for sure. Um, there is. Looking- well, it, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. For next week. Now we can, uh, uh, you know, I want to put a bullet in the head of this Minnesota game. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let, let's do that. Um, so looking ahead to next week, we were assigned uh, kind of like we thought uh, we were assigned Rutgers from the other side of the conference. And, uh, they had their own kind of losing streak, uh, but they just broke it last week with a overtime win over Maryland, 27-24. And, and that's a significant win because Maryland has a lot of talent. Now and, it's worth and, noting that uh, Tua over there at Maryland was not playing. He, he was hurt or something, so they had one of their other quarterbacks playing for Maryland. Okay, okay. Um, so that's worth noting, but yes, still a, uh, uh, a, a good win for Maryland. I watched the the recap of the game. And I think there was, there was very little scoring in like the first half. It all kind of came in the second half. Um, but Rutgers has a running back that looks like he is a, he might be a problem for us. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing, again, this is a first year coach who's returning. I will concede that this is a guy who had success, who built Rutgers into, uh, in the pre big 10 era um, into quite a consistent winner. Uh, and then leverage that success into a NFL head coaching job. And then through a series of events of not having success, he found himself back down 
into college as an assistant um, and became uh, co-defensive coordinator at Ohio State and then leveraged that back into the head coaching job again at, for a second tenure at Rutgers. Now, the thing about this guy is he's, he's all about getting everybody going in the right direction, right? Uh, you know, um, Minnesota's got row the boat. This guy's got chopping wood. Okay. <laughs> same, same kind of a, a mentality that you gotta, you know, you gotta stay with it. You gotta be consistent. You gotta never give up. And that's the theme of his teams, man. They play hard and they never give up. Right. And that's not something I can describe about Nebraska. I would not use those descriptive words Ew. for Nebraska. Okay. And that, and so these kinds of teams, even with inferior talent beat better talent because their effort and their discipline on every play is just a little bit better than the other one. They might not have the talent of the other team, but they have more effort. And it's because those are the things that they can control, right? Effort and concentration, execution, those kinds of things. Those are within your control. Uh, you know, the individual athleticisms of the players, some of that's naturally given. And where are you in the, in the scheme of, you know, freshman to senior in terms of your physical development? Uh, well, this is a team that, you know, shit, most people would have suggested that, that they might not win one game this year. They've already won three. Okay, and that doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're Nebraska, that's nothing to scoff at, right? We've only and this guy's two. in his right. This guy is uh, um, this guy is in his first year, and he's already turned around the mentality and the effort and the theme of this whole football team, and they have buy-in. So I guarantee you. And and oh, by the way, this is finals week for them. So all these kids are going to come into this week, you know, with basically most of the. Um, semester behind them so they're going to be able to focus exclusively on preparing for this game and they they want desperately to beat us uh, and and of course the game is there you know this is their fifth home game at Rutgers hmm. and it, and we only had three now logic would have said that that Nebraska should have gotten this home game right logic would have said that that it would have been wiser for that game to be in Lincoln oh by the way you know, where there's been a lot of outbreaks and they've had all kinds of COVID issues in New Jersey and, in, and at Rutgers, you know, they've had to s suspend a game, but uh, because of their uh, COVID, who's the team that has had virtually no COVID and up until now? Right. Nebraska. So everything suggests you should have had that game at Nebraska if you were trying to be objective and fair. But there was one thing. They're still in school. They're having their finals. And uh, in their infinite wisdom, the Big Ten decided to say, well, Nebraska, too bad about, you know, equalizing home games and, and uh, you know, accommodating your players. We're going to insist on you traveling halfway across the country and go, uh, uh, you know, play an additional away game, um, a fifth away game for us. And, uh, uh, you know, Rutgers gets to have a fifth home game. You, it's okay that you only had three. Right. I mean, it's, it, to me, it's illogical. Uh, kids play football during finals week pretty regularly. They play volleyball during finals week. Hell, they have the NCAA volleyball championships during finals week. Okay? I mean, I'm sorry. That, that is a weak-ass excuse for why they justified having Rutgers be the home f team instead of Nebraska. I, Doesn't I, make any sense. Just from listening, I think a better – result would have been well they have three wins you have two so we're going to give you know since they have had a slightly better season we're going to give them the home advantage right but the justification they said the reasoning why they did it was because of finals week at rutgers hmm. and right. oh by the way there's now going to be a huge snowstorm and we may not even be able to play this game we might not be able to get out there it's there's a very good <laughs> chance that the airports are going to be closed because they're projecting that whole eastern seaboard getting anywhere from, you know, 20 to 36 inches of snow from this one storm. And if, and if they do get deluged like the weather people are all excited about, uh, then we probably aren't playing. Okay. Well, that would uh, throw a wrench into things. We're going to go ahead and presume that the game will be played and that we will make yes. it out there. Um, and in terms of predicting a score, I'm going to be uh, – Thinking positive, as I usually do, that, uh, you know, we're going to uh, come and perform and, you know, that our better talent will 
show itself on the field. Uh, however, like you mentioned, the fact that Martinez clearly that right shoulder is bothering him. And I doubt that after playing this other game that he'll uh, be much better in that regard. So hopefully we do see more of McCaffrey and he gets the snaps uh, to help him uh, perform in this upcoming game. Uh, so, you know, sorry, what were I, you gonna I was say? just gonna, I was just going to say one thing to interrupt you. You know, it's interesting, uh, Alex, that, you know, we're now talking on, on a Wednesday and the game is on Friday, so just two days away. And there has not been a question that I can recall uh, to Scott Frost or any of the assistant coaches about the status of McCaffrey or uh, uh, the status of, well, Martinez and McCaffrey. What is their health status right now? Because you, you clearly didn't play McCaffrey, so I'm going to assume he must have been hurt because uh, only an idiot would have continued to play. And I, I would love to ask that question and use those words. Only an idiot wouldn't have played McCaffrey based on how Martinez was performing on the field, so it must be that McCaffrey's hurt. So I'll just assume that's the case. Uh, so can you give us an update on his health uh, and, and, and Martinez as well? Uh, I mean, I would have just tried to gig him. Right. Well, and clearly, but they brought in McCaffrey to be the second team guy when Martinez had his little hand thing. So unless, and I don't think he got hit on those two plays. So uh, that does make me wonder on McCaffrey. Uh, I forgot that it was a Friday game. I saw that the time we finally have a game that's not at 11 a.m. Every single right. game has been at 11 a.m. Central time. This right. Season for us. Um but uh, I'm going to go ahead and predict that we win, but I'm going to say it's not going to be a pretty game and it's not going to be a, a, a big win. So I'll go ahead and say it's 24 Nebraska, 21 Rutgers. Wow. I, I can't go there. Not based on this performance. Until I see Scott Frost use his goddamn brain and start putting together game plans that actually use our strengths and 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 put the right people in place, including if if Martinez is hurt, to take him off the field and put somebody out there who can execute his game plan. Um, I can't pick a Nebraska victory, so I'm going to have to go the other way, and I'm going to say uh, we're going to score 17 points, and they're going to score 38. Oof. Well, maybe we should hope that snowstorm comes. <laughs> I'm telling you, that, and I might be underestimating how many points they're going to score on us. Uh, well, so we'll see. I, I don't think yeah. it'll be that bad, but we'll see. Um, all right. So then, talking about the other games that happened in this week of college football, um, there were a couple of uh, interesting upsets that took place. Um, yeah, the, the biggest one in terms of the national implications, of course, was LSU, Florida, with uh, number six ranked Florida being upset by LSU 37, 34, uh, with uh, what will certainly go down as a classic college football moment with one of Florida's players after stopping their guy on th uh, the LSU guy on third down throwing his shoe 20 yards down the field and getting penalized for it that uh, led them to kick the field goal that won them the game. Uh, a 57-yard field goal, I might add, in like super foggy weather. The whole fourth quarter had this fog, and they had to bring the cameras down to get underneath the <laughs> fog. It was seems like it was quite a quite a game. Yeah, and and you know, going into that game, I don't know what the odds on line was, but it was probably pretty big. You know, uh, yeah. so so some gamblers were very happy that day. The LSU fans, Abs absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, you know, an LSU has obviously had a disappointing season coming off of national championship win and all the um, losses they had this year. So to get but to get one upset, I'm sure Ed Ogeron is very pleased about that. Um, and uh, so good, good for those guys down in Louisiana. Um, and this was an interesting upset. I didn't watch any of the highlights, but uh, North Carolina played number 10 ranked Miami and beat them 62, 26. Just a I was going to say that that was a blowout. Yeah. I mean, wow. And, and actually um, um, it was, it was probably worse at halftime. You know, Miami scored uh, I, a number of those points in the second half in kind of garbage time, I think. Right. I mean, it just, they just did not have it that day. And that just shows you what a dominant physical, 
running a game can do. You know, North Carolina's got a couple of really outstanding running backs, and they just beat them to a pulp. Yeah. And then uh, in the Big Ten, we had Iowa playing Wisconsin, and Iowa won 28-7. So this has capped off a terrible streak of games for Wisconsin. Is your read on that that just the amount of COVID they've had and shutting down so many of their practices and games this year is just tanked kind of this season for them or is it deeper than that no i i think you you got it right i think the covid thing has disrupted quite a quite a number of issues i think that they definitely took a a step back this year and and we kind of knew that going into the season that that they had lost some offensive linemen um and so they didn't have their regular you know monster offensive line with lots of uh you know uh experience and dominance and they also lost a great running back who they clearly haven't replaced yet. Not that they don't have some talented running backs, because they do, but um, but rather those guys don't have the maturity and 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 the comfort in the in the running uh, offense that they've got going. Um, so I would say, and they remember they were playing a freshman quarterback. So I, I would say this is a one-year aberration, and and next year Wisconsin will come back pretty strong. Um, I think, uh, but it'll be interesting to see what happens this weekend against Minnesota because Minnesota is still going to probably be struggling with quite a few players out because of COVID, right? The 21 day rule. Um, and they play, uh, a Wisconsin team that's probably getting most of their guys back now. Um, so, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Wisconsin looks a lot better this weekend. If for some reason, Wisconsin doesn't win this game, I would say that would be more concerning to me than the Iowa game. Iowa's playing very good football right now. It's interesting, though, to take a look at that and realize we played Iowa tougher than than Wisconsin did. Yep, yep. So everybody who presumed that that Wisconsin game in the second week of the season was a, was a slam-dunk victory for Wisconsin uh, would, may have very well have been wrong. And, uh, and again, what, what, is our, what does our season look like if we end up playing that game and we beat Wisconsin in, in week two? You know, what does that do to the whole trajectory of Nebraska? You know, and then and then we go into the Northwestern game and instead of losing by a small margin, we win by a small margin. And all of a sudden, you know what I mean? The whole tenor, know. this whole deal. You, you, you look back at that week two a lot this season. That's all I'll say. I have. I, I have. Well, I'm telling you, those kinds of things are really critical. Right. But, but think if you're a Wisconsin fan, like how many of the – you know, the three different games they've missed, you know, could you look back and say, well, if we had played this game or that game, oh, no. Oh, there's there's no doubt. And I, I I think they are. That The difference is Wisconsin's looking in the mirror of one bad season. We're looking in the mirror of, you know, a decade of shit. And that's the difference. That's <laughs> that just like Michigan fans. Any any Michigan fans that I talk to, since we're from Michigan, Alex, I, I, I want to beat them all over the head with their – whininess about we suck this year and oh gosh we're worse than you and oh you know woe is us and i'm like you guys have no idea you know call let me know if if you spend 10 years sucking and and then get back to me about you're worse than us right that's a crock of shit okay (laughs) i i can tell these conversations have happened uh, recently Um, yes they have all right so then of course we had the uh, playoff rankings come out and we haven't really talked about these much this season they've been you know kind of more variable than usual because of all the weird situations of different conferences playing different number of games and everything but now we're getting down to the conference championships and what will determine the final four teams and uh, the current rankings are number one, Alabama, number two, Notre Dame, number three, Clemson, number four, Ohio State, number five, Texas A&M, number six, Iowa State, number seven, Florida, number eight, Georgia, number nine, Cincinnati, number 10, Oklahoma. So that's our top 10. And you made the point earlier that uh, Florida, who lost to LSU in a surprise upset, uh, an LSU team that's not very good this year, uh, yet they only dropped one spot from six to seven. Complete joke. It, it, it exposes that whole process. Um, and, 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 and I don't get the, uh, you know, the, the committee's argument that it's, it's the total body of work and Florida ha- still has all these quality wins and all this sort of stuff. And that's true. But, but when you lose late in the season, uh, uh, when you're a substantial favorite to a team like uh, LSU that, granted, has talent. Everybody knows that they have talent. 
but they and, and maybe they're putting it they're just late getting it together right it's possible but at the end of the day though you have to look at that for what it is and and say i cannot uh have a two loss florida team who just lost to lsu just this last week of the season and and only drop them one spot that's completely bs okay they needed to drop a few more in fact I would I would argue that based on recent performance, they they should have uh, been back there around ten where Oklahoma was, right? Maybe you slot them right ahead of Oklahoma at nine, but but uh, that's where they should have been. Right, I think that's totally fair. Um, so obviously we're looking ahead to the conference championship games, and the biggest one in terms of the playoff implications is of course the ACC championship, which this year because of the situation with Notre Dame is Notre Dame versus Clemson, number three versus number two, a rematch of an earlier game this season, which Notre Dame won. So Clemson has that one loss on their record and Notre Dame currently has zero losses. So the situations in terms of the playoff that could play out is, I think it's, it's easier if, if Notre Dame wins, then Clemson has two losses to Notre Dame and they may drop out then of the playoff. I hope they and I hope they do and, and and I believe they should. I'm not sure they'll do that, but I believe they should. If Clemson loses to Notre Dame a second time, Clemson should be out of the top yes. four. Yes, I agree. That that should be clear cut. The the trickier situation is if Clemson beats Notre Dame. So now Clemson's in because they're the conference champ. And now you have a Notre Dame team that has only one loss and they beat the team that beat them earlier in the year. So they're still in contention then, I think. Right, right. I, and, I, and with the with the Notre Dame name and for media reasons and all the other reasons, which let's be honest, the part of why Florida only dropped one and, and these kinds of things is because there's two things going on. Number one, they're trying to keep all those Power 5 teams up near the top and, and especially the ones that have been recently relevant. Um, and, um, uh, and number two, they would love nothing more than to have Notre Dame be in that final four. So the idea of a Clemson victory that, that, uh, that um, revenges their only loss, and keep in mind that uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence did not play in the first game against mm, Notre Dame. Right. And so, so now they would be like, okay, it's all good, Clemson's in, and then they would, put, they would slot Notre Dame at four, and then you, and then you got an Ohio State-Clemson semifinal, and you've got a Notre Dame versus Alabama and it's like, well, Notre Dame's going to be the sacrificial lamb in that first game uh, to Alabama, based on what people think and where things are at right now uh, on the on the you know scale of expectation. Um, and then uh, to you know that's fine, everybody's happy, so to speak. Um, but if you if you don't put Notre Dame in there, <clears throat> um, excuse me, if if Clemson loses and now Notre Dame's in and Clemson's out. Now, now I think there's going to be argument, or I would be, I, I would believe there's argument with A&M versus, you know, Iowa State, which would be a conference champion, right? And there will be continuous arguments about <clears throat> does Ohio State, even though they're currently ranked third, does Ohio uh, State, um, or are they third or fourth? Third, right? Uh, Ohio State is fourth. Behind Notre Dame and Ohio State is fourth. <clears throat> My apology. Okay, so um, the question would be: Does Ohio State deserve to be in the top four with only six games? Let's assume they win the Northwestern game. Only six games uh, uh, won, six games played, and their biggest victories are going to be against a, you know, a Northwestern team that is top twenty, top fifteen ish, and a and an Indiana team that you know, has had to cancel its last two games and, and, um, you know, was uh, top 15 or so 20, you know, not, not top 10. I think Indiana was top 10 at some point in the season. At, at the, they were when, when Ohio state played them, they were right. Right. But when they were undefeated at the time, but, but you know, you, you understand my point is people are saying, is there enough evidence there to justify Ohio state? over a nine win Texas A&M team that has played a full, full schedule of sec games and lost only to, um, uh, Alabama. And did they lose a second, ga- uh, 
second game. I can't remember A&M's record right off the top of my head, but um, but bottom line is the resume comparisons. Right. Yeah, I looked up Texas A&M's resume earlier, and I think they did lose a second game, I believe, to Florida. Um, not could, yeah, it could on be. That. Okay. Um, I'll look back at that. Okay. But, yeah. yeah, looking ahead at the uh, the different conference championship games, um, I, of course, there's uh, Ohio State and Northwestern in the Big Ten. Um, and uh, I think everyone would say that Ohio State is the favorite, but, man, wouldn't it be – great if uh northwestern found a way to beat them somehow that'd be quite the underdog story well it would be a great underdog story but it would be horrible for our for our league in a year when we're desperate for money we need ohio state to win that game so that we can at least be part of the playoff and get at least one paycheck if not two games of paychecks from that deal so that's right um, okay and uh, i just looked it up so actually uh texas and beat uh, Florida, it was 41 yeah. 38 earlier in the year. Yeah, okay. um, so there are only losses to Alabama, but it was a crushing 52 to 24 loss. Yes, that's um, right. They've beaten everybody else in their path. And, and they're, and they're playing Tennessee this weekend, a game where they're going to be highly, highly expected to win. And uh, so they'll end up eight and one. So they will have played nine games and won eight of them. And, um, you know, um, Ohio State will have played six games right. and hopefully won all of them. Right. So nine and or eight and one versus six and zero. Oh, uh, you know, I guess I, I can. I, I believe that's a pretty sound argument uh, for Ohio State to be one of the top four. Right, but I what I think could make it interesting maybe is the 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 differences. You know, say Texas A&M comes out and crushes Tennessee, it just looks dominant, whereas Ohio yeah. State has a close win over Northwestern, you know, barely ekes by. That might make things interesting. Well, but but that wouldn't surprise me because Northwestern uglies up every game they play. They just do. Mm-hmm. Every team that plays Northwestern, it, it ends up being ugly. I swear it's just, it's really hard to blow that Northwestern team out. I would tell you that a lopsided win by Ohio state against Northwestern would impress me a lot. Okay. Cause I know how hard it is to beat a uh, Pat Fitzgerald team badly, right? He just doesn't allow that to happen by virtue of the way that he runs his offense and his defense. Right. And uh, so that would be an impressive feat. Okay. And then uh, in the Big 12, of course, we have uh, Iowa State versus Oklahoma, with Iowa State being the higher-ranked team at six over Oklahoma. A rematch from earlier in the season, once again, where uh, Iowa State beat Oklahoma the first time. Um, But, of course, in these sorts of situations, especially when the uh, other team that lost is the more perennial power, I feel like the advantage is usually with that team in the rematch. Um, but once again, this is a situation where I would love to see Iowa state, uh, win it. And I think if they did, you know, over an Oklahoma team that people, uh, you know, think is pretty good, uh, then I think they might leapfrog, uh, Texas A&M in that scenario. I sure hope so. I, I sure hope that that, that, uh, conference champion of one of the power five conference being a power five conference champion would be enough to, uh, to drive that. Uh, to happen because damn it conference championship was supposed to mean a lot in the whole factoring of how this plays out right mm-hmm. so the fact that they're a conference champion and A&M isn't even playing in their conference championship should mean a lot I agree so um, but, yeah. w- but what do you think about Iowa State's chances uh, I just looked up the the betting odds and the odds are in Iowa State's favor uh, as the better Which team is- I thought it might be the opposite Honestly. I'm surprised. I am too. What? What? How much of a favor? What's it the was point? like plus one six one six six. That's what. The, oh, okay. The thing said. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't understand those quite as well. But I believe that means it's a pretty small number. Like that's one and a, one point six points or something. I don't know what one six six means. Um, as opposed to being plus three or plus four, you know, or minus three or minus four. I guess it would be. But um, um, I'm surprised that um did you say it's plus one six six yeah yeah iowa state's the favorite they are oh i'm sorry actually here we go it says the spread is plus 5.5 points okay it's iowa state plus five yes 
oh, then they're the underdog by five points. Because usually they, the, the favorite oh. is, is associated with a minus. You're actually so, – okay, you're correct. So never mind. Oklahoma is the favorite by, well, that's, by there. That's – I, I was going to say I, – I was going to say I was surprised – I would be surprised that, that Vegas would bet that or, or that would leverage it that way. Hell, everybody would be on Oklahoma if they put out that kind of an odds. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're right. And again, uh, Vegas's odds makers are all about getting even money on each side of the of the wager, not about picking the winner. Uh, so odds can be a foolhardy thing sometimes. But um, um, so with that being said, I would love for Iowa State to win. I will be rooting hard for Iowa State to win for a variety of reasons, but not the least of which is, is I think it would just be a really great story. And it would put uh, an interesting twist in that whole scenario uh, for the final four. If, uh, if some things, you know, occurred ahead of them. Um, but I think beating Oklahoma twice in one year with their talent, their coaching staff, extremely hard to do. I, I think Iowa state has played uh, really well this year, but Iowa State still has two losses already, right? That that Louisiana loss in the first game of the year is killing them, and uh, um, so I I think that comes back to haunt them. I think Iowa State uh, loses this game because um, I think as soon as things maybe don't go quite so well for Iowa State in this rematch, that the mental edge they're going to have a letdown. They're going to have an emotional letdown, and then. Oklahoma's just going to jump on it and, and, and end up winning. If they can overcome it and, and maintain, you know, like a lead and get into the second half beating Oklahoma, then I think uh, Iowa State's got a good chance. But I have a feeling Oklahoma's going to come out, get on top of them, and then after they get about a 14-point lead, Iowa State's going to kind of lose it. And it'll, it will end up being a comfortable win for, for Oklahoma. Interesting. All right. And then the last two are, of course, in the SEC, Alabama, Florida. Florida just coming off of this recent loss. And in the Pac-12, it's USC versus Oregon. I believe it was supposed to be USC versus Washington, but they have issues with COVID-19. So Oregon is the next team up, as it were. Um, and, of course, in the Pac-12, um, or, or even if USC wins, you know they're kind of too far back to really be in the playoff discussion uh, right. seriously. So that's the one that's getting the least attention, you know, once again, the PAC 12 is kind of on the outside looking in for another right. year. Right. Well, and uh, more, uh, more justified this season because they got started so late. They have so few games, you know, I exactly. get that. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, even with the smaller number of games, I think all of them have one loss at least. Right. Uh, and Oregon's got two losses, which I, I, I Oregon's uh, season is a bit of a head scratcher to me. Because they have so much talent, they they continue to just sign ridiculous talent, um, and uh, so maybe next year is going to be the year where that starts to really show up on the field, and we're going to see an Oregon team that reemerges as a national power. Um, um, but I, I don't think that's this year. So I would say USC is playing pretty salty, um, and uh, and but I will say that I I think that. USC is probably more nervous about having to play Oregon than they would have been about playing Washington. I think Oregon, because of the talent they have, is a scarier team for USC to play. So I'm going to say USC wins, but it's a tight one. Mm -hmm. It's one of those typical Pac-12 shootouts where no defense is played. A little bit like the Oklahoma-Iowa State game will be. You know, high, high scoring, but maybe not as lopsided. Yeah. And then in terms of Alabama, you know, I, I know um, after last year, there was some kind of discussion about if the kind of Nick Saban magic was, you know, fading just slightly, you know, in terms of like that they'd had a little bit of a, a down year for their lofty expectations. But it uh, seems like he's um, done the job this year and they're looking really good. And uh, oh, after uh, with a Florida team that just lost to LSU, um, I don't yeah. see this game going too well for Florida. I would agree. I think Alabama is superior in a lot of ways. And, uh, and I think uh, they have just been getting better and better as the season has progressed. So, so I think it ends up being a pretty comfortable win for Alabama. Okay. 
So going down the list, um, I agree with you on uh, Alabama winning in the SEC and USC winning in the Pac-12. Um, going back to the Big Ten, uh, I like I said, I, I am on Northwestern's side for sure, but I'm definitely predicting an OSU victory there. And I believe you're doing the same, right? Y- yes, absolutely. Okay. Yep. And the Big 12, uh, I'm going to go with ISU. I think they can do it. Okay. And I'm going to pick Oklahoma. Uh, because that's what my brain says, but my heart will be right there with you. Right. And then we get to the the tightest, most interesting one, Clemson, Notre Dame. Um, like you mentioned, uh, Clemson didn't have Trevor Lawrence last time they played, which is obviously a big factor. Um, so you think that's the, uh, that's the Trump card this time? I do. And, and, uh, and the stakes are higher, right? Uh, right. Uh, this year or this time uh, of the year. And, and Clemson is, is comfortable, has been in that environment, has, has done that before. You know, this is the first year, this this unique COVID year where Notre Dame agreed to play within the conference structure for the first time in its history and uh, and is just a one-year deal. So um, Notre Dame would, would like nothing more than to be able to come into the ACC and win the conference title the one year they're a member of the conference, supposedly. Um, and so I would love it if um if if that were to happen you know um but i don't think it's going to happen i think i think clemson because of their experience uh is able to get the job done now i will say that i think notre dame's a very good football team and um and i think clemson has not performed as well as i thought they might this year so this will be a close game it's not going to be a blowout uh for clemson uh, and that ends up being a pretty close Clemson victory. Okay. Uh, I kind of agree with you. Um, I like Trevor Lawrence a lot as a quarterback, you know, from the past years of watching Clemson. Uh, but uh, to shift things up a little bit, I'm going to go ahead and predict that Notre Dame takes it. Um, so we have another uh, difference in our predictions. Here. That's a good call. That's a good call. I, I, I could easily have gone that way. Okay. And, 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 and if it does uh, go your way, then then that makes that fourth team choice very interesting for the committee. If it goes the way of Clemson, I think the choice becomes easier for the committee. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wouldn't mind a little squirming on the committee. Right. So you think even – so if Clemson wins and both of those teams, Notre Dame and Clemson, both have one loss, clearly Clemson would get in because they're the conference champion – but you think Notre Dame would still squeeze in at the fourth spot in that scenario compared to like a, a conference champion, Iowa state or a Texas A&M. Yes, because that would only be one loss for Notre Dame. And those other two teams have two losses and uh, Notre Dame's only loss is to a team that they beat as well. Right. So I, I think all of those numbers, all of that information would lend itself to Notre Dame staying in the top four. Uh, ahead of the uh, A&M and Iowa State. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be interesting, though. If if uh, if Notre Dame did win, and so Clemson was out, and let's say Iowa State got in at that four spot being the Big 12 champion, but then Iowa State would play Alabama, and I don't see that ending well for Iowa State in any scenario. Oh, exactly, and that's the thing. is I, 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 That's why I kind of use the term sacrificial lamb. I think if Notre Dame ends up in that spot, they're the sacrificial lamb. And I think that if Clemson loses, then it's going to end up being A&M, who already has been a sacrificial lamb for, for uh, Alabama. Alabama once this season. And I, I don't think that's a matchup that they're all that excited about. So I think the committee would really rather, if they could, put somebody else in there, right? Um, and so, um, you know, they would love for Iowa State to pull off the victory and, and frankly, give them that as an option. Because I think that would be a more intriguing matchup, if not for the just the Cinderella story that Iowa State would be. Right. Yep. All right. So we've got our predictions here for the conference championship games, as well as the Nebraska Rutgers game. So uh, we'll be back next week to talk about the results of those games and what that uh, what the playoff shakeout of everything is. Um, But, of course, our next podcast will actually be the 100th episode, a very important one. And we had some debates about what we should do for it. We want to do something special. 
And so we've decided that uh, we're going to reminisce about happier times for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And so we are going to watch the 95 national championship victory for Nebraska and then well, no, talk about... The 19, it's actually the 1996 national championship because that's after the 95 season. Okay. Um, um, but it's the, uh, so it's the 1995 team, but it's, it's the 1996 national championship. Right. We're talking specifically yeah. about the 96 championship win, uh, but also about just that, that team as a whole, you know, being one of the greatest football college football teams of all time and all that fun stuff. So right. that's going to have a lot to share. I know. Right. And we're going to be able to, uh, since you're joining us for Christmas, we're going to be able to watch that game from stem to stern, uh, maybe even a little of the pregame preparation and then the postgame uh, celebration so that you get the full onslaught of, 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 you know, the Nebraska in its heyday, which we obviously haven't been able to enjoy much in the last two decades. Yes. So. All right. So if you all out there enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can reach out to us at huskerpeat13 at gmail.com. You can also find us online if you search for College Football Throwdown on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. You can leave us a rating or review there. We always love hearing from the fans. We'll read it out on the air. So thank you all for listening, and thank you for joining me, Dad. And until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.